This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. France versus Argentina in the World Cup final. Then which, when you say it out loud, sounds like quite a good World Cup final. But how valiant... With the Moroccans ravaged by injury and getting more ravaged as each minute went by. They pressed and created and fought and were an absolute credit to themselves, their dancing mums and African football. But it wouldn't go in for them and France could now retain the trophy. Perhaps Antoine Griezmann has been playing in the wrong position for his entire career. Another stellar performance in midfield. Deschamps made good substitutions, one of whom, Randall Colo Mouani, made his existence known, to me at least, with the goal that made it certain. We'll look ahead to the final. There's some serious AOB with Philippe and some silly AOB with the rest of us. All that plus your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendening, welcome. All right. Nader Manuha, hello. Yeah, good evening, Max. And Felicitations, Philippe Auclair. Merci beaucoup, Max. Congratulations. I know you're not necessarily the most sort of fervent, you know, you don't have a, you haven't got face paint on, you haven't got the tricolor <laughs> painted on your face right now, but congratulations, congratulations, how does it feel? Uh, this one feels good, and uh, in some ways it feels better than 2018. Oh, to compare winning semi-finals <laughs> in the World Cup, what a nice position to be you know, in. It's a, no, no, carry on. Hey, carry it's on. only a fourth World Cup final since 1998, which isn't too bad. Um, but I think that the uh, yeah I I'm, I think it's because of the, the performance of the of that Moroccan team which we are probably going to say an awful lot of uh, very nice things about and totally justified and um, it was a bit chaotic but um, I have to say there's so many things to appreciate in that French team that perhaps more than the 2018 which was incredibly uh, realistic as we would say in French and it's like a, a a steamroller. This one has got loads of weaknesses. And to get where they've gone to uh, is a great credit to, I'm sure we're going to talk about them, some of the players in that particular squad uh, and their manager. And that really, you know, Max, I can see you smile. But I have to say, well done, Didier Deschamps, because um, what you have done with this group of players when it was, you know, pretty complicated to get a group together to start with. At one point, they had 13 players out with injury. That was back in September, wasn't it? And to bring them to that kind of standard um, and the team spirit within that 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 camp. I mean, actually, to be honest, I mean, 
I'm I'm putting it out right right now, but isn't it the um, the constant in if you look at the four semi-finalists, Max, is that in many ways the things that matter the most in club football, in terms of the way that you are used to um, certainly certain play patterns, totally goes out of the window when it comes to international football. What we've seen is teams that are genuinely are driven by very old-fashioned virtues and some fantastic players too. But it's like the esprit de corps. Um, and there maybe there's an English expression for that as well, uh, Max. But that's what you would say Morocco has been remarkable for, apart from the fact that they were also you know, technically remarkable and, and they had a great performance tonight. France has been driven by this kind of spirit that Deschamps has managed to instill in a group that has been um, impacted a lot by injuries and so forth. You could say the same about Argentina and you could say the same about Croatia. It's basically a triumph of the spirit. And, and when you mentioned spirit, actually, Nate, I mean, it, it, maybe it feels wrong to talk about Morocco before we talk about France in detail, but... They were brilliant tonight, weren't they? Yeah, they, they definitely were. I think there was a sense of disappointment come the end that they didn't score in the game and also for the way that France do play and as good as they are. Seeing France score the first goal, you kind of predicted how the game, you sort of had a feeling about how the game was going to go from that point. It would have been great to see Morocco score that first goal and maybe force France to maybe be more on the front foot. But it just wasn't to be. And I think, um, I think as Philippe was saying, you know, there's a certain type of passion that exists with people when they play for the national side. And we definitely saw that with Morocco. and We've seen lots of other sides as well. But I think credit, you know, credit has to go out to France. They find ways to win games. They're in the second World Cup final in a row where this is supposed to be cursed. And you're not supposed to do this now, especially with the injuries and stuff that they have. But yeah, Morocco, they were they're really impressive. They went through long spells where you didn't think they'd be conceding goals. And then to just talk about the sort of, pride of it or like Saeed's trying to play when you know he's not fully fit that game means everything to him and for the players they want to see him out there because he means everything to them it's a really really good story and you know we want to go down the route and say they should feel proud but ultimately I think also they should feel disappointed because in kind of different day things maybe go their way I think it was a mistake for that first goal and then as I say that kind of set the tone for the match and you've got the bad fortune with the deflection at the end which led to the the goal that basically just sealed the game but they're a really good side. I'll be very, very interested to see how they develop from this point with a manager that's not been in there that long, but now with a sense of belief and hope that, you know, the next time they're involved in any sort of competition, whether it's something that's regional or something that's going to be global again, you know, you have to take Morocco seriously. It's been great to watch them. And thankfully, we've got one more game. And I'm sure for that third, fourth place playoff, they're not going to go into that half-hearted. I can tell you that for a fact. That's a really interesting point you make, Nedim, about, and you've been sort of banging the drum for them, Barry, for quite a long time. And I think I've been agreeing with you, but sort of thinking, look, they're defensive, they sit in, they get a goal on the break, they're good going forward, but they, that's not their game. And actually today, it felt like it was different today. You know, as soon as France scored, they were on the front foot quite a lot. They pressed much more. And and I, yeah, you wonder, like, are they playing above their station because it's World Cup semi-final? Or are they now kind of like an international force that we need to reconsider for the next however many years? I think it's far too early to say they're an international force. But they were certainly an international force in this tournament and they were an international force tonight. And they had to deal with something tonight that hadn't happened before in this tournament. They went a goal down. That hadn't happened before. It's the first time it's happened to them in almost 10 games, I think in eight or nine. My big concern was that if they conceded an early goal, they would get tonked. 
and they did concede an early goal and bloody hell they didn't get tongued I thought they were absolutely outstanding tonight I thought they were very unlucky not to score and they look even before this game they could have left the tournament with their heads held high but they they were just outstanding now <laughs> who knows what's going to happen from here on in maybe the manager will get a job managing West Brom South, Southampton or Reading <laughs> and he'll be sacked within six weeks after you know four consecutive defeats I really hope that doesn't happen but it might and uh, one, one of my mates who's a Liverpool fan was saying you know texting me going oh is it true Liverpool are being linked with um, oh what's his name I think it's that defensive midfielder uh, yeah Amrabat and I, I look, I don't know, but I, I texted, yo, don't sign someone on the back of a good World Cup. Remember El Hadji Juf. Yeah, just just on the evidence of what I saw tonight, I, I, I love Morocco. I, I, they were f- absolutely fantastic. Um, and I, even when I saw the lineups, I couldn't believe my eyes that Roman Sice was in the starting lineup. <laughs> <laughs> and a guard was in. And like, neither of them could walk four days ago. And now it was a gamble uh, that the manager took to throw them in. Or a guard actually pulled out after the warm up and size only lasted 15, 20 minutes or not. His hamstring must be made of solid gold. <laughs> I mean, I just don't get it. The, the fact that he's been able to just stand up, let alone make some semblance of playing football but um no hats off to morocco they they weren't good enough tonight and by god they weren't too far off yeah interesting on that note with size nadem and sort of that human level of um you know a guard as well who who dropped out in the warm-up you can just imagine those conversations you know this is the biggest game of their life and and to you can just imagine him going through the warm-up thinking, this isn't right. And and to actually make that call, to go, I can't do this, shows incredible. Um, well, that is sort of the ultimate team player because you just want to be on that pitch so much. Yeah, it, for, for sure, for sure. I think it, it would mean so much to them to be there, to be there playing in that game, to see the crowd, to see the setup, to see the opportunity. But this is, you know, this is the reality of sports. Sometimes you can try and push as much as you want, but then at some point you stop being an asset to your team and become a liability, especially if you're not that close to being fully fit at all. And, you know, the only thing I would think of is like the guy who comes on for Saiz to then get substituted later on, you know, you'd be hoping to start that game. And it's a shame when you are basically just thinking, is he going to be okay? Is he not? Like being the replacement is a tough spot to be in, but credit to those two guys for doing everything that they can and as well. It sort of makes you change your perspective about injuries because normally in a sort of league season, somebody goes off on a Saturday, you're thinking they're probably going to miss the next Saturday, yet here we are, there's a three, four-day turnaround after playing two games in three, four days earlier. And they're finding a way, they're like, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to push, I'm going to push. So it's, it's, um, it's different, but credit to them for wanting to be out there. It's a shame, as I say, that it didn't work out for them, but they got a taste of it. They got a chance of still being around the team. And they'll be disappointed just like the others. Firstly, primarily because of the result. Secondly, because they couldn't arrive in that moment and be at their absolute best. But they'll have a belief, and maybe this is a naive thing now because of the way football works, that maybe if we were fully fit, maybe we would have won 
and maybe we'd actually go to the World Cup final. Maybe we are world champions. So maybe that's a little boost that it needs. Think, think of it that way. Nadim, what, what, where, and it is, I think you mentioned a fine line, but where does the fine line begin and end where you want to give everything for your team, whether it's your club or your country, and it, and you're verging into selfishness, which, and I don't want to, well, I'm going to have a pop at Harry Kane. I think he's done this on two occasions in the Champions League final. And I, what was the other one? Might be in a League Cup final. League Cup final, where it was fairly clear he wasn't fit, but he'd obviously insisted on playing. And I think that might have cost his team. I think that's, that's a good question. I think it depends on the player and depends on the club. Because for somebody like Harry Kane, you know, whoever you bring in to replace him, the manager's clearly not really fancying him as much because I've seen other players who are like 99% fit and they get rested, whereas there are others who are, you know, they're like 60, 70% and they want to do everything they can to put them out there. So I think it is, it does end up being being selfish, but like every player is different because for some, like even in the game yesterday, it looks like Messi maybe wasn't 100% fit. So he just slightly adapted his game and walked a little bit more, but then still did what he needed to do when he had it. But for others, like I know some players who like, if they feel like a breath on the back of their neck, they'll go down injured. But then I know others who will finish a game as long as their spine is still technically still working and they can feel their toes. <laughs> so, you know, everyone, everyone is different. And as long as the manager trusts the person that's out there in terms of saying that they can do what they need to do, then fair enough. But the ones who, you know, don't get the opportunity to do it, just know that deep down the manager is not really having them and they're actually quite happy that they are not 100% because they they want them to just take a seat on the bench and stay there for the whole game. Yeah, I think it was Tim Stillman who tweeted, look, if if Olivier, if Olivier Giroud is sprinting past you and outpacing and you can't catch up, it is time to go off. And that's what happened to Roman Sice when Giroud went through and hit the post. Um, Joe says, is it me or have France only been good against Australia and Poland and are yet in, in the final? Philippe, is that is that a bit harsh? Yeah, I think it is a bit harsh, to be honest. Um it depends what you mean by being good. Uh, I think Didier Deschamps would immediately say winning. Uh, the game against Tunisia was is one we should forget anyway. They were absolutely rubbish in that part of the game, but it was the reserve team. Um, but otherwise, no, I don't think that they've been particularly great. But it is not a French team which has arrived at the World Cup with the kind of squad that perhaps it had in previous editions of the World Cup. And and it's done absolutely marvellously well out of, um, I wouldn't say limited resources, because talking from a French viewpoint, that's crazy to say that. But it has it has been a difficult World Cup for, for Deschamps to prepare. Very difficult. He's lost some of his, I mean, he's lost three of his main players in the build-up to, to, to that World Cup. He's, he's lost his midfield. He had to find a solution for that. He lost the Ballon d'Or. And I know that if Lars were here, he would argue, and I would probably ag- agree with him, that in some ways, sometimes when a big player is missing, who is not quite fitting in the greater scheme of things, uh, or your strategy or your tactics, it is a blessing in disguise because it gives you uh, a joker, so to speak, you know, like a, a trump card, and which have, might have been the case. But in terms of using the dis- the resources at your disposal, I think Deschamps has done an absolutely magnificent job. I mean, Théo Hernandez, you know, look at Théo Hernandez. I mean, he's a liability. We know that. And he showed it again tonight. He scored a goal. Uh, well done him. 
and but is but he's a liability. Jules Koundé is not a right back. Um, suddenly, two of the players who had started the last game were out because of illness. My friend Adrien Rabiot and Upamecano. Now, Konate had a magnificent game. Uh, he was actually one of the outstanding performers on the pitch. But I would say there were about half of the players in the French team didn't perform to the standard that I was expecting them to perform in such a game against such a position. So everybody had to up their standard. They all, everybody else had to up their standard. And he did that. So, yes, it's not the greatest French team. It's not as good as the 2000 team. It's probably not as good as the 2006 team. It's not as good as the 2018 team. But you know what, Max? I don't give a <laughs> bloody beep. <laughs> Nine them. And that's the point, Max. Um I'm, if some people feel attacked listening to this, it's because I'm attacking them, yeah? So uh, when we when people talk about England sometimes, they say Southgate is too boring, he's too this, he's too that, he's too whatever. I think this World Cup itself, when you look at the French, they you look at them and you think they've got so much potential, Mbappe, Hernandez, so on and so forth. But the most important thing to them is just winning games. You know, someone says they've not been good enough. They've, they've been good enough to win the games that they needed to at any particular moment. It's not with 70% possession and creating 20 chances a game, but it's winning football. And they are in their second World Cup final in a row, where some people say from four years ago, it wasn't the most expansive football either. If you want to see a team that's really attacking, that think is the, is the way forward, it's Brazil. And they've all left already. You know what I mean? Because they, they had nothing in midfield. This is the way that teams tend to progress through tournaments. It's not necessarily the most beautiful football you've ever seen. And I think for some people, they may be seduced by the idea of club football and getting exactly what they want on a week-to-week basis is finding a way to win games and get through rounds. You don't have to be as impressive as other people think you need to be. But lo and behold, the French are happy to be in the final, whereas everyone else is pointing to say, oh, look at your football, though. It's not great. They're in with an opportunity of winning the whole thing again. Surely that's the most important thing as opposed to other sides of things. Yeah, there's I, I, there's also... um not playing well and not winning games like a lot of lower league fans. <laughs> yes, that, we, that part is also true. <laughs> we, we have both. Uh, Matt says, how many Griezmanns were playing tonight? Is he or are they the best player of the tournament? Um, Nat says, when did Griezmann become the world's best midfielder? Barry, he was he was brilliant again, wasn't he? Yeah, he's been a revelation in this tournament. I think Didier Deschamps obviously deserves a huge amount of credit for figuring out the I suppose it's the the Pogba conundrum. He's absent. What do we do? How do we make up for his absence? And I mean, there's so many good French players who aren't there and they must be watching on. Are they happy? Are they gutted? I think I'd be gutted. I have to say, I would be gutted. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Absolutely gutted if I was one of the... I mean, Karim Benzema, what's going on in his head? It's conceivable that France will win consecutive World Cup, World Cups, and he won't have played neither. <laughs> and uh, wow, you know. But um, yeah, Griezmann is my player. Is he actually? Yeah, I think he is. I'm going after Messi last night. Is definitely before Messi last night. Griezmann was my player of the tournament. I think after Griezmann tonight, he's still my player of the tournament. Just for someone to come in and do this this role, which one presumes is is fairly unfamiliar to him. And 
is he better in this role than he is? Has he wasted his time for the last 10 years? <laughs> I don't know. But, um, yeah, he's he's been absolutely outstanding. Uh, and Fran... <sighs> I, I think it's a managerial masterstroke by Didier Deschamps and, and Griezmann has, has done everything and more that's been asked of him. Do you know, with everything that's Barry, that Barry said, there was a point in the commentary where I thought I was getting triggered. I was getting really, really triggered. And then it was like a masterstroke in terms of how they described it because they said, and this Griezmann, he has not scored an international goal in 13 games, but this is the best that I've seen him look in years. I was like, oh, he got me. He got me. I was going to throw my shoe at the TV and it says, yeah, you've recognised he's having a huge impact and he's playing a different brand of football to what we expect from him, but he's having a greater impact because it's, it's, two, it's a two-way player now. Defensively, he's getting so many headers in, reading the game really well, but then his intelligence to link the play, you know, the assists he's, he's making, the balls he's putting into the box. And how he's defending, right? I mean, that's... Yeah, that's what I mean. It's, yeah. it's, it's been it's been so so good. He's the French Paul Warhurst. <laughs> well, I, well... No, that doesn't quite, you know, that's that would be like if Giroud went to centre back. I think that's that that's that, you know, which do you know what? I'd like to see it because he's got a lovely touch. I can just see him bringing one out of the sky and just playing it to the fullback. He'd be a delight. Did they ever stick you up front, Nathan? Well, <laughs> well, how long have you got, Max? Can I can I offload for here? Yeah. To be honest, not a huge amount of time. It's meant to be okay, on the I'll World be, Cup really... semi final, not on your career, but you know, I did ask the I did ask this the question. Was, you did, yeah. So you teed me up. <laughs> so basically when I was in the academy, I was actually playing as a striker. And then the moment I came in full time, I went to a defender. And then I thought, you know, every so often I get thrown forward, but I didn't. And the lowest point I had in my life was when Stuart Pierce brought on a goalkeeper for an for an outfielder. Yes. So when we needed to score, there were actually two goalkeepers closer to the goal than I was. Because I wasn't allowed yeah, to go forward, yet still yeah. there was Nicky Weaver and David yeah. James 30 yards listen, out. So there we go. I'm clearly not over it. John Macken was on the bench, though, so you know, and he was a centre forward. So you know, yeah, you, you don't really, you were at least it on will. the pitch, weren't you? Michael says, anyone else just discovered that Colo Moani existed? I did, Philippe. I presume you knew who he was before he scored that goal. Yeah, I, I did. I mean, you know, he he doesn't exactly play for a Mickey Mouse kind of club, really. They they've only played a European final, you know, last season. Um, but I have to say, in terms of um, that's Eintracht Frankfurt, just in case people didn't know. Yes, absolutely. Sorry. And um, uh, was it his first touch? By the way, this goal. I think it might have been. Yeah, it might have been. And by the way, Deschamps, his substitutions work beautifully. Mm. Maybe we should say. maybe we should give him the England job. Just call him Derek, and just say, you know, come on, you can make in-game changes. That's what we're missing. And you know. Derek Didier. So, what would it be in English? Didier Deschamps. Um, Derek Dixon. Something field. I don't know. No field. Something field. Diddy field or whatever. I don't know. But no. But he he had actually been pretty good uh, of the uh, so-called hairdressers who played against Tunisia. Mwani had actually been one of the few who had um, shown you know something at least on on the pitch, and. Uh, when you think about it, he's only in the team because Nkunku got um, injured uh, in in the run up to the to the World Cup, and you arrive and your first proper your first goal for France is in the semi final to guarantee a place in the final. I I, I to be honest, when I watched his face, I th- I thought he doesn't quite realize what's going on. He sort of realizes it's something big, but he doesn't quite grasp it. But he grasps that he's not grasping it, if you see what I mean. And um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> which is, and and also we we should talk. Well, we should talk. We should mention it. Is that 
it, it was after the only thing of note that Kylian Mbappe, who was absolutely pants throughout the whole game, contributed for France. It, it, that, because what Kylian Mbappe does on that particular move is absolutely magnificent. It's absolutely it's so amazing. Amazing feat, But the rest yeah, of the game, he was, he was awful. <laughs> he was absolutely awful. And, and the players who did it were Hugo Lloris, again, magnificent. Come on, Max, you're a Tottenham fan. Well, no, no. I, I did tweet that Spurs fans know he is going to drop the most extraordinary mistake against Brentford on Boxing Day, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't do that very often. But Konate was great. Chouamini had a fantastic first half in particular. And you can, I mean, it's basically the players who were perhaps not expecting, apart from Griezmann, um, who, who provided. And uh, Mouani was one of them. Turam as well had. Um, yeah, he did look was, great, didn't he? He looked absolutely great. He did exactly what was expected of him in terms of holding the ball and, you know, and also creating danger. So it's a, it's a very odd French team, I have to say. It's completely imperfect. Um, there's loads of things which don't quite work. It looks panicky at times. But there is always a foot, a leg, a limb, whatever you want to call it, which is there to uh, compensate for another person's failure. Dembele had a poor game. He, you know, he has been very good during the World Cup, but this time he wasn't that great. And But they find a way to compensate. It's like... Um, you know, vascomunicant, communicating vases, I think it's called in physics, when you've got one bottle with the volume of liquid yes. goes up, the, yeah. it goes down in the other. And it does that all of the time. And that's basically Deschamps France. And his credit, I think, you know, you can understand why he's going to stay in place until Euro 24 and probably um, beyond that. All right. Good old Didier. In part two, we'll look ahead to the World Cup final, Argentina versus France. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, we're recording a Christmas special mailbag next week. Uh, if you'd like to send in a question um, or if you can remember a nice thing that happened on the pod this year, I can't remember anything, but I presume something good has happened. Is is this the one we traditionally get drunk on? Well, we can't because it's at eight o'clock in the morning that we're doing it. I mean, you can. We, but... we can. <laughs> well, I'm not. Um or if you just want to say something kind about the pod, uh, footballweekly at theguardian.com is the email address. It'd be really good if we had some emails um, because then we'll read them out. The Detroit Celtic Supporters Club say, what would be a better outcome, according to you in the pod? Uh, France winning back-to-back World Cups without four or five of their starting 11 due to injury or Messi finally winning the big one. Love the pod. Thank you. Nadem, 
Um, so I'm a bit biased there. So I, I really like Lionel Messi. So I think seeing him lift the trophy would mean something to me. But, you know, I'm not attacking French. I think the French, if they go into the game, I just want whoever wins it, I want them to deserve it by playing the better game. You know, instead of maybe more of a scrappy type performance. But in terms of the grand scheme of things, I think as I look back through my life, I think about the significance of that moment. And for football, if Argentina did win it and one of the best of the generation actually gets his hand on a global trophy, I feel like it'd be something which a lot of people remember quite fondly, vividly, and so on. But, you know, that's just that's just a fairy tale thing. So ultimately, I don't know. I think doing the repeat for France would be incredible, especially since apparently they're supposed to fail with the injuries, with Benzema dropping out when he did, with Varane not being fit before the first game. And also the fact that because you won it last time, you're supposed to go out in the group rounds, aren't you? So um I don't know. I think all storylines are still open. I know which way I lean, but and I, I'll definitely get over it if France play really well and end up uh, winning the whole thing. Our storylines are open. They I are. like it. They are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I imagine, Philippe, you wouldn't begrudge Messi winning the World Cup. Or oh, now yes, he's I would. The of course, I would. Saudi <laughs> ambassador that you would. No, no, oh, you no, would? No, okay. no, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I have gone. Now it's the final. I can go uh, full French. So... Um, no, absolutely, I would begrudge him. In this particular case, perhaps because of the circumstances in which you know um, France approached this tournament, and and I I cannot get fully behind this messy thing for perhaps off the field matters. I I I have a problem with somebody who is being presented as the saviour of, of the nation and the great Argentinian idol who is working, being paid millions for a country which is the direct rival for the organisation of the 2030 World Cup. I have a problem with that. I am not, you know, I absolutely, I rate Messi as high as anybody else, but I've got a problem with that. And I'm... And, I suppose I'm using this as a French fan now mm-hmm. to feed my resentment Good. And, and my animosity so that I really want France to win on Sunday. Do you see what I mean? So I understand. I, I think I've gone through the mirror here, which didn't happen in 2018, but for some strange reason it's happened this year. I, you know, go and explain it. I, I explain it away. I, I can't myself. I can't even justify it. And probably in two weeks' time, when we've won the World Cup, um, I would be looking at myself and say, how dared you um, do anything like that? To, But that's the way I feel about it. Barry, who do you think will win this game? I said that I thought France would comfortably win the semi-final. They didn't comfortably win it. I think they, I, I, And then I said they would comfortably beat Argentina. I, I still think France will win, but I don't know what you think. Uh, I think Argentina will win. I think some things are written in the stars. I think this is one of them. I I can already see him ahead, Messi collecting that trophy. I I I will be astonished if Argentina don't win this final. Rented us. Who were the only teams who beat Australia this World Cup? Oz Football Powerhouse. Yeah, it was <laughs> Argentina and France. So by definition, you are the world champions uh, on the third place playoff. Walter says, will the Croatia-Morocco game be more like a rerun of Monty Python's Philosopher's World Cup between Greece and Germany? Will either team touch the ball for the first 85 minutes? I'm a bit harsh on, on both, actually. And while we're on Monty Python, a lot of people 
I did get my holy grails and my life of Brian's muddled up on the other the other day. My apologies to everybody. I I would like to point out for the record that I did notice, but in the yeah. interests of fluidity and me wanting to get to the pub as quickly as possible, I I elected mm-hmm. not to point it out, and I should have <laughs> known that. Obviously, it would be picked up on by pedants. That's okay. Um, Adam says, how do I stop being miserable while imagining what would have happened if Kane had scored that penalty? Um, uh, Nadim, everyone else has had a chance to talk about England. You can have your two minutes if you want. Two minutes? That's very generous. Do you think it'd take that long? That's all right. Um, Good side, young side, managing the moment, kind of let themselves down. I think a couple of little mistakes here and there, but that proves to be the difference. But ultimately, I think as I look at the tournament, of those last four teams, it's kind of a nice feeling if you like England to look around and know that nobody in there is comfortably better than you are. Because it's nice, but it's also not nice. Yeah, because it? it, it, yeah. it's not easy to win the World Cup. It is, and I'd yeah. love there to be a really brilliant team that yeah. we're just blowing everyone away. But it's like it's just positive that there was no reason for people to be rioting. You know what I mean? Like England lost, and people are sad, and they're sad because of what could have been because they feel they deserved more. Obviously, deserving within football is very, very subjective. But they'll feel like they did deserve more because they did play well overall and they managed their way through the tournament in the way they probably wanted to, but then it just fell short that final stage. And obviously, you're a missed penalty away from maybe taking it to extra time. And if that's the case, who knows? But I think there's reason to be optimistic, especially when you look at some of the young players out there, you're looking at Foden, Sackers, Bellingham's and the like, because these are these are really young guys who will get better. And at this stage already, they almost feel like they're drifting towards the the realm of being some of the best in the world. So why would you not be optimistic? Because there are other teams who are going through such a heavy transition, you know, like the likes of Belgium and the like, and they're number two ranked team in the world somehow at this point. So, you know, there are positives. Um, I was disappointed for them because I feel like that's a good bunch of guys, but, you know, it's not over. And just this case, can they actually build on it? We'll have to see in time, won't we? I would like Southgate to stay. I saw a good tweet from someone, I forget who's saying, it almost is di- divided down the lines of the people who are desperate for him to go are people I don't really respect in the game and people who are undecided or want him to stay, I do respect. Obviously, I respect you, Barry, but I think you're undecided. I'm not saying you're in that uh, uh, mould I disrespect. W- where do you sit, Adam? I think he's done a great job overall. Like I think the players uh, feel like they're playing for him, feel like they believe in him, feel like they're happy to meet up and be around other players. And one thing I would say is that that hasn't necessarily always been the case, you know. And I think that has a lot to be said for himself and the other coaching staff. Don't get me wrong; not everybody wants to be there. Maybe some people left because they didn't want to be there. But I think overall, the England team is viewed differently today than it has been at any other point during my lifetime. And I think himself and the coaching staff are a big part of that, and especially with the players as well. So I'd like him to stay because I think he's done a good job. But then it's also like maybe he's getting the itch and he wants to get back into club football again. And if he does, I wouldn't begrudge him leaving either. And for some people to say he has to leave, well, who do you want to come in? You know, it's that whole thing of, yeah, we can we can do better. But like, well, who, who are you talking about? And what's the bar for the person that comes in? Because Gareth has made it to a semi-final of a world championships, a Euros uh, final, another quarter final here where they played well. So the next guy coming in is the bar literally like, unless you win something, then you're out. Because if that's the case, then really, where are we? I've read something absolutely really, really funny. I mean, not willingly funny, uh, from quite a well-known journalist saying, we should have an English manager. What about Brendan Rodgers? <laughs> 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 and... <laughs> 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, All right. Yeah. Yes. Who else yeah. is there? The cupboard is pretty bare, isn't it? I'll be honest. I still think Jose Marino is the man for oh, the job. Man. And I, I say I this as someone it. who cannot stand the man. Give it Jose for the Euros. And when if it all goes down in flames, which it probably will, he might win something anyway, then give it back to Gareth. Gareth's only 51, you know. He's had three chances. How many more chances do you want to give him? Anyway, I, I, I'm ending it there. Uh, that's That'll do for part two. In part three, uh, any other business, some serious stuff to begin with, um, and then some nonsense at the end. Hello and welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, a few serious things to begin with. First of all, you may have heard about the Iranian footballer Amir Nasser Adazani. Uh, on Monday night, uh, FIFA Pro, which is the Global Football Players Union, said it was shocked and sickened that he was facing a possible death sentence after campaigning for women's rights and basic freedom in his country. It said, we stand in solidarity with Amir and call for the immediate removal of his punishment. Anti-government protests, as you probably know, have raged in Iran since September, sparked initially by the case of 22-year-old Masa Amini, who died after being apprehended by the state's morality police for allegedly not wearing her hijab properly. Uh, Amnesty International said it had identified at least 20 other people at risk of execution. Uh, this is after a 23-year-old called uh, Majorjeza Ranavad was hanged on Monday. According to the group, 11 individuals have been sentenced to death. Three have undergone trials on capital charges and are either at risk of being sentenced to death or may have already been sentenced. Six may be awaiting or undergoing trial on capital charges. The final category is where Azadani um, stands at the moment. A judiciary official uh, in Isfahan province said on Sunday he'd been charged with armed revolt. Uh, he's accused of uh, taking part in killing three security personnel in the city during protests on the 16th of November. We'll, of course, uh, keep you updated on that pretty um, depressing story. Also depressing is the news of a migrant worker who's lost his life um, at the World Cup. Uh, a 24-year-old Kenyan, John Njau Kibui, has died while working as a security guard in Qatar. He fell from the eighth story of the Lucille Stadium in the early hours of Saturday after Argentina's quarterfinal victory over the Netherlands. The Supreme Committee for Delivery and Legacy, the World Cup organising body, said Kibui had died after three days in intensive care, that an inquest into the circumstances surrounding his fall would be carried out as a matter of urgency, uh, on Saturday, the 10th of December, this is the statement, John Njawi Kabui, a security guard at Lusail, suffered a serious fall while on duty. We regret to announce that despite the efforts of the medical team, he sadly passed away in hospital on the 13th of December. His next of kin have been informed. Qatar's tournament organisers are investigating the circumstances leading to the fall as a matter of urgency, we'll provide further information pending the outcome of the investigation. Uh, his family are requesting greater clarity on the circumstances. We received the news on Tuesday morning that he'd passed on. His sister told the Standard newspaper in Nairobi, we're very heartbroken. Important for Leap to notice that there's there's no mention of compensation in that statement. doesn't mean it won't happen, but it, it wasn't mentioned as a matter of course. Yeah, it, it's a subject that we've uh, touched upon in, in uh, previously and... The fact is the statement uh, refers to monies due and the salary should have been paid, which is going to be paid to his family. But again, um, the uh, Supreme Committee stops short of promising any kind of compensation. We know it's a, it's, it's a subject that is 
I mean, a really important one because there is a debate about compensating for the other workers who have died in projects related to the World Cup. And I think we cannot but notice that the Supreme Committee chose not to mention that word in their statement. Another story of interest, uh, Philippe, according to Le Monde, um, uh, Nasser Al-Khalifi, boss of PSG and BN uh, Media, in 2020 uh, paid financial compensation to the FIFA Foundation as part of the, quote, amicable agreement relating to FIFA's withdrawal of the complaint for corruption. I enjoyed that snigger, Philippe, against uh, Mr. Al-Khalifi in Switzerland. What has happened? Why is it important? Uh, what happened is that FIFA uh, basically put a complaint to the Swiss judicial system about uh, corruption or alleged corruption against uh, Mr. Al-Khalifi uh, and Jérôme Valk, uh, who was at the time or beforehand the Secretary General of FIFA, for um, the sale of rights, broadcasting rights to be in sport, of which Mr. Al-Khalifi happens to be uh, the chairman as well. FIFA uh, taking the complaint out of the Swiss judicial system meant that the Swiss judicial system couldn't pursue the matter. That's the way Swiss law was at the time. It's changed since then, but at the time, if one of the parties decided, if the party who con you know considered itself to have been uh, the victim decided, you know what, we're not going to pursue this, justice had to get out. And so justice did. But what uh, Rémi Dupré of Le Monde has, uh, has found out is that um, uh, Mr. Al-Halaifi, um, it's not quite known whether it was as an individual or as part of an organization, paid uh, an important sum to the FIFA Foundation. Uh, interestingly, he also found out that FIFA itself also play, paid some kind of money to its own foundation, which is a bit weird. So by doing that, both parties came to an amicable agreement. And we knew the amicable agreement had, uh, had been concluded. We didn't know exactly what had happened. And we now know it's because of this payment, or at least in part because of this payment to the FIFA Foundation, which is then supposed to invest that money into the development of the game worldwide. In, in a nutshell, Philippe, what might a cynical man deduce had happened? <laughs> I want producer Joel to have a nice evening. It's already complicated. Listeners, we're recording this before what might be a very long game between France and Morocco. We don't want Joel to be on the phone with lawyers until the early hours of the morning. So we'll keep it there. I think people can read Rémi Dupré's piece, uh, which has been published in English as well, and make up their own minds. I mean, you know, I have my opinion. I think, Barry, you have yours, and maybe our opinions are not so different one from the other. I'm not a cynic, right? There was a complaint. Al-Khalifi gave some money to the FIFA Foundation that is not connected at all. FIFA withdrew the complaint. They're completely unconnected. That's just an, a non-cynical view. Nasser Al-Khalifi's representative said uh, it was a, quote, completely standard civil settlement agreement. We agreed not to initiate any further lawsuits or actions against FIFA for the erroneous claims it had filed against us and which caused us damage for years and vice versa. Both parties had possible claims, and rather than exchanging damages, a donation was made by each party to the FIFA Foundation. Obviously, like all settlement and non-suit agreements, it's confidential. But that doesn't seem to matter these days. There's nothing new or controversial. Um, when contacted, FIFA declined to comment, and the Swiss prosecution confirms it was, quote, not aware of any negotiations or the content of the amicable agreement. Uh, one more thing before we get on to uh, uh, the more fun any other business. 
there's been a memorandum of understanding between the Saudi and Ecuadorian FAs. And I must admit, if I see that as a headline, I don't, I don't click on it. I don't think it's that interesting. But it might be, in, it might be interesting, Philippe. I, I have a feeling at the end of Philippe's explanation here, I'm going to say something like, Philippe, what would a cynical man make? <laughs> well, um, let's put it that way. If, you, if I were going to my um, editor and I said, breaking news, Ecuador has signed a memorandum of agreement with the Saudi Arabian FA, I mean, they would say, yeah, okay, thank you very much. Bye-bye. We know that Saudi Arabia has got a... Um, a dream, let's call it like that, if you're non-cynical, uh, of being one of the hosts of the 2030 World Cup. And the idea at the moment is that it would team up with Egypt and Greece. Because of the rotation between continents, which is part of FIFA's you know, policy in terms of who is organizing the World Cup, uh, Saudi Arabia couldn't have the World Cup as that soon, 2030, when Qatar has had it in 2022. They're part of the same confederation, Asia. So they would team up with a Egypt, African Confederation, and Greece, UEFA, with a combined bid. I mean, that's crazy. Okay, fine. But, you know, that's their right. They can do that. I mean, no one could do a video going, how good is the transport between one stadium and another? I can just jump on this tube train and I'm there. Good night. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so now the thing is to, to get momentum for that because obviously uh, the people who are going to vote for the host country of this World Cup, and that will be in 2024, you need to convince them that it's the right choice. So one thing to do, you can do is to conclude like one-to-one uh, -one agreements. So, you know, the Memorandum of Understanding is a way to uh, create a rapprochement, I believe it's said in English, between the two federations, two member associations. And the fact is that the choice of Ecuador is obviously not innocent. That's my reading of it, but I'm cynical. Because who is going to be the main adversary of Saudi Arabia, Egypt and Greece, in 2030, it's obviously the South American bid, uh, which has got Uruguay for the centenario with, with Argentina, Chile, and so forth. It's a very, very strong bid. In, term, in football terms, it's, it's so strong, you wonder who could possibly beat that. If you've got a country from CONMEBOL, i.e. from the South American Confederation, uh, teaming up basically with Saudi Arabia with a memorandum of understanding, you're putting, well, you're putting sand in the ointment, as it were. You're creating a problem, a fracture in what should be a block uh, unified behind the Argentinian, Uruguayan, Chilean bid. And I think for all people who follow these kind of stories, it sounds like nothing, like a detail. For It is the first step, though, in the future Saudi candidacy for the 2030 World Cup, or maybe 2034. But certainly, it's another step in the direction of hosting a major football tournament for the Saudis. According to uh, the information that came out with it, the partnership aims to advance both federations' shared objectives to grow football on the pitch and off in their respective countries. It addresses a wide variety of issues, including but not limited to talent identification, refereeing, coaching, technical development, governance, women's football, and sports science. The Saudi Arabian Football Federation President Yasser Al Misahal said, We are delighted to signal a new era of partnership between us and our good friends at the Ecuadorian Football Federation. Ecuadorian football resonates with fans across the globe as the country has produced numerous football stars in recent years and consistently qualified for the FIFA World Cup. And well, we'll keep you posted on that one. Uh, elsewhere, Ash says, Why, when you mentioned House of Love? 
by E17 on the pod. Did it come on in the pub in Northampton while watching France-Morocco? I hadn't heard this song rap 20 years before this. That's the power that we have. A friend of the pod, Elliot Ross, says uh, Richarlison's back tattoo features a portrait of himself uh, in between the original Ronaldo and Neymar. Which two players, past or present, would Max and the panel put either side of their self-portrait back tattoo? Nadem. Oh, so you've so- got you got a big Nadem Anuha right in the middle and either side. What have you got? Nicky Weaver, David James. <laughs> what is it? Uh, not quite, not quite, no. Um Mark Burcham. Oh, stop it, please no, please no. Um Ah, uh, do you know what? I'd probably put two players who I just really hate in the picture. Hang on, we've got your, we've read your book, yeah. Joey Barton and yeah. Joey Barton. Yeah, two Joey Bartons. Get Joey on the next time you're on. Um, yeah, uh, of Philippe. Course, yeah. Philippe? Uh, I'd have uh, a really, really original um, Johan Cruyff and George Best. Barry, I'd have a giant Max Rustin to my right. Okay. And an AC Jimbo to my left. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> a wonderful little, I've got to have Ian McIntosh, Raphael Honigstein, yeah. and... James Horncastle. Uh, James Horncastle just forming a little garland underneath. <laughs> You've it. got to let go, Barry. You've got to let go. <laughs> I'm all right. <laughs> I've seen the charts, Philippe. I'm fine. <laughs> Barry. <laughs> Starting to sound a little tired. It's like like a Croatian. Phil says, when Barry accidentally leads England to World Cup glory in USA 2026, will you recreate the bang the chair pub dance and include those red plastic cups? They always have an American house parties. Connor says, must make movie. A bit like Brewster's Millions. Barry becomes the unlikely manager of England. Despite all his best attempts to mess it up, they go on to win the World Cup based on a strict (laughs) kebab and pints diet. Pep makes way for new Barry ball. Imagine it. Um, anyway, something to think about. Um, and that'll do for uh, today's Guardian Football Weekly. Nadem, thank you, mate. Thank you very much. Cheers, Philippe. Thank you very much, Max. Congratulations. Thank you, Barry. Thank you. Thanks, guys. We'll be back on Friday uh, with a special looking at how this World Cup has gone off the pitch. And we'll be back on Sunday after the World Cup final. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Christian Bennett. This is The Guardian.